Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm Amy Bird, and I'm here at our new Harrisonburg, Virginia location Woo-hoo. with my co-host Todd Pruitt, who is pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Harrisonburg, and Carl Truman, who is professor over at Grove City College in Pennsylvania. And although we didn't get the coffee that we demanded this morning, we um, we've been drinking lots of water mm-hmm. and getting a little silly over here. Yeah. And um, we were thinking about some questions to ask on the podcast for this episode and looking at questions that have been emailed to us. And, and one question we, I was contemplating is just, I have this, I have this box in my study um, of bad Christian books. Oh, Some yes. are from research I've done for No Little Women, like researching the bestsellers list. Some are more academic and, mm-hmm. and a little troubling or, mm-hmm. or da- very damaging. Like bad theology. Bad, the- mm-hmm. bad like first doctrine order theology right did you right. write any yourself or um uh, none of them are my own oh, so we're not dealing with, we're not dealing with a personal problem okay okay and then even um you know when people donate books you know maybe 20 years ago to the church library uh-huh. and they're still sitting in there and you, and you see the, oh, okay we got some disturbing books in our yeah. library and so i got this box full of bad books yeah. but i have this i have this problem because you don't want to donate bad books to right. goodwill, right? I mean, right. you don't want other people to read them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then and then also, even if it's a bad book, that you almost feel bad about throwing it away, don't you? Yeah, you like you feel like it's a waste of good trees, right? Right. And then, I mean, do we have a fire? Do we get get old fashioned and just yeah. burn them? Burn them. Destroy <laughs> yes, them. Burn them. <laughs> what do we do? Like, what do you guys do? I mean, I have the um, heretical garbage stamp that I've put on right. some of them. Yep. <laughs> yep, I what love you, that stamp. What should I do with my box of yes. bad books? Yes, well, I think um, I think you give uh, you, you write the author, ask them to change their theology. <laughs> yeah, um, well, Matthew and, and eighteen write certainly. A new copy. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I um I think that uh, I I I have a policy. I, I throw them away. You throw them away. I throw them away, and and we will. You know, we, we've had books donated, some of which um, we were happy to, to keep and put into our our church's lending library, um, and then others I, I, I throw away. Because, you know, I, I don't want anybody reading a, a, a Joel Osteen book. And so if somebody, if it, you know, if we get one or two of those thrown in or a T.D. Jakes book uh, thrown into a box that's donated, they go right into the, uh, right into the trash. I don't think... T.D. Jakes is going to be, you know, perfecting his thinking anytime soon or anything like that. Um, writing a second edition of any one of his books. So, yeah, we just we throw them away. Yeah, I think when it comes to church libraries, there's there is a sense in which even if you don't intend the presence of a book in the church library to indicate the church's imprimatur on that book, mm-hmm. that's how a lot of people will interpret mm-hmm. it. So I'd make right. a big distinction between a personal library. I mean, I, I suspect my, my personal library yeah. – Probably over fifty percent of the books are books that I would disagree with in some mm. fundamental way. I, I, I have Paul uh, Tillich's systematic theology in yeah, my library, yeah. and I wouldn't want 
anybody to believe what he believed. Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yes, when you're in some sort of position of Christian leadership, then you have a certain responsibility, I think, to read widely, mm-hmm. uh, carefully and discerningly. Uh, and be familiar with ideas that perhaps, you know, you don't want the little old lady who was converted last week uh, to be picking off the shelf in your mm-hmm. library. So I think there's right. a certain there's Or someone a certain young and thirsting to learn more and, exactly. and, and uh, grow in their knowledge of God. Even in my own personal library, though, I mean, there's the, the books that have error in them in which I'm very sharpened by other parts of mm-hmm. um, and want to keep. Yeah. But then there's the books that just have nothing of value at all. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And I don't even want people to think that I read that book. Right. <laughs> like, I what know. if I died tomorrow and, and my kids, found this. Of, you yeah. know, are more interested all of a sudden in uh-huh. my studies and they, you know, right. they pick up that book. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, and it's interesting because there's the old, there's the whole argument of, well, you know, uh, eat the meat and pick out the bones. Well, there's certainly, I mean, as a rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to, to a certain extent. We do that with books we do recommend just because I, I mm-hmm. suspect that there's going to be something I don't agree with completely in, 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 in every single book. But but there, there comes a point where trying no to meat. pick through the bones becomes so hazardous right. that that it's just dangerous to keep on, you know, all you're on, doing on hand. Right, right. And so the, the, the work of trying to find meat uh, in some of those has become so corrupted by by the number of bones that that it's it, it ends up being Maybe counterproductive we should just bring back the book burning i'm phase. all for it i'm all what for it, it the 70s y- yeah uh, and and that's when we were you know burning our our records mm-hmm. um yeah. uh, black sabbath and yeah. um you know olivia newton john uh, you know that sort of thing yeah. people will be useful then it's true though in a you know in, a, in an ecological uh-huh. world it might be better to find some way of recycling them true because yeah. the thing that we found is that when we would burn um, Led Zeppelin records, it would actually conjure demons. And so we, we had to stop doing that. So, so anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, throw away. There's nothing wrong with throwing away bad books. And I would say that, uh, that it's the duty of all good Christians to throw away bad books. Well, that leads to another question that's been sent to us. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do we discern the difference between error and heresy. And, and this is something we've talked about a little bit before on the podcast, and mm-hmm. maybe we need a little more clarification yeah. here. So, Carl, what is heresy? I would say heresy is a theological position, view, belief, doctrine, which if held persistently and consistently would effectively uh, undermine the individual or the church's credible profession of Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, denial that that uh, uh, God became human in mm-hmm. Christ Jesus. Now, there may be somebody you know they converted last week. Right. They they don't know yet quite what the Bible teaches and what the church has taught on these things Mm -hmm. over the centuries. So it's possible that a new Christian might come along and make some pretty fundamental errors, for example, on the incarnation. One might say there that the views they hold are heretical, but they themselves are not heretics on the grounds that they're teachable, Mm -hmm. uh, they're open to, to learning a better way. But if somebody comes along and, as I say, consistently and persistently holds a position uh, which denies some foundational truth of the faith such that, you know, they cannot be saved, right. then one would come to the conclusion that that person is, is, is a heretic. Right. Unlike that, unlike that new believer that you just described, this is a person who persistently rejects 
correction and sound teaching in yeah, favor yeah, of the heresy. Yeah. And I think that's one reason why in Presbyterianism we make a, a big distinction between uh, what is required of a coherent uh, profession of faith for membership mm-hmm. and what's required of an office bearer. Mm-hmm. You know, we require office bearers to subscribe the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Westminster Standards. And that's because we, we are... We, we, we're acknowledging there that uh, older Christians in the faith who aspire to hold a leadership position right. need to have a much more thorough grounding mm-hmm. than, than the humble believer who was converted right. last week. And so we would say that a heresy is a species of error, which if you hold to it, we, we can't really call you Christian in any meaningful sense. Yeah. I mean, one could say, for example, an obvious air, area where Christians disagree would be baptism. Mm-hmm. Can baptism be applied to infants, uh, the infants of believers, or can it only be applied to those who've professed faith? Right. Uh, I think there, there are not many in the, in the Christian world who would regard those who disagree with them on that issue as being heretics. Right. We might say uh, our Reformed Baptist and Baptist, Southern Baptist uh, friends are in error, mm-hmm. and they would no doubt, and I hope they would if they truly hold <laughs> sure. their confession of faith seriously, they would no doubt uh, repay us in kind and right. say that we're in error on that issue, mm-hmm. but would typically uh, acknowledge that, that that disagreement does not fundamentally disrupt the fellowship and right. union we have with them through our union with Christ. Right, and you know the church I pastor and, and most PCA churches will have in their membership baptistic brothers and sisters or those who who believe in believers only baptism they're they're allowed to join and be full members of the church now they can't be an elder but they can be full members of the church um and and we just simply say we think they're wrong about baptism but they're brothers and sisters in christ who have a credible profession of faith they hold to the to the primary substance of of our of our confession and uh and they're able to be members we disagree on this we think that one or the other is in error, um, but we don't find that that rise, it's certainly not heresy, certainly not heresy. Would you say that um, one distinction with heresy is, um, you know, we're talking about first order doctrines then, mm-hmm. and, and ones that are confessed in our um, church creeds for Yeah, since, so mm-hmm. you look at the Apostles' Creed, yeah. and you want to say, if, if t- to be considered Christian in a really substantive sense you need to believe and hold to the tenets of, of the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. certainly. Yeah, yeah. No. That's certainly the, the case. And I think uh, yeah, when, when you look back at the 17th century, it's very interesting. We tend to think of the Puritans, the Reformed mm-hmm. Orthodox, as being very precise in their doctrine, and, mm-hmm. they, and they typically were. But it's often very interesting the different rhetoric they use about different groups with whom they disagree. Right. So, for example, John Owen will cite Thomas Aquinas fairly regularly, mm-hmm. And we'll refer to the Dominicans as kind of the least bad of the medievals. You know, he clearly appreciates some strands of Dominican yeah. Thomist uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. He'll refer to the Amoraldians, a group that were kind of hypothetical universalists in right. their view of the atonement. He will be very strongly critical of their views of the atonement, but he'll still refer to them as learned brethren mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. points. On the other hand, you know, the Sassinians who, who deny the Trinity right. and deny the orthodox uh, understanding of the Incarnation – they will be referred to as you know, damnable heretics, right. that, that, that Owen is clearly operating with uh, a model that sees Trinitarian orthodoxy 
as being crucial. Mm-hmm. And those who hold to that but are in error on other points, he, he he's willing to affirm them as brothers. Mm-hmm. Those who deny uh, the classical doctrine of God as such, mm-hmm. he places outside the pale. Mm-hmm. Right. And and also, I'm, I've been asked before, you know, whether I I, I believe that uh, Arminians are quote heretics, and I always say, of course not. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're in error, and mm-hmm. I would love to see them change their mind. I think they're missing out on some real mm-hmm. wealth. Mm-hmm. But I have some some reformed brothers who insist yeah, on calling they're, they're Arminians and heretics, and I and I try to tell them now, please, when you're calling them heretics, you're saying that they hold to damnable mm-hmm. error mm-hmm. here. Right. It's interesting actually that Owen would have sort of put the Arminians on that was, on the heretical side of the line and in the that's 17th what, century, right? And that's what brought brought that to mind is yeah. that I I've read some things that Owen wrote about Arminians, and so that is why yeah. some of my reformed brothers yeah. go, ah, oh, but it's you know it, it's heresy and. And, I th- well, I think Owen ties it in. He sees it as a as a staging post to Socinianism, right? A staging post to arguing for divine passibility, right. a mm-hmm. staging post to arguing for limitation of divine. Well, knowledge. and that's an right. argument to be had there. Mm-hmm. So there's different and, and levels most, of error, right? And, also, and I would say that most most Arminians are inconsistent. Is yeah, is, yeah. is right. why I don't yeah. call them heretics mm-hmm. because they don't trace out the full implications. Mm-hmm. Of of some of their doctrines, so 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 it's a, it's an extremely small leap, I would argue, from uh, Ar- real Arminianism to open theism. Mm-hmm. But you have evangelical Ar- Arminians who condemn open theism, right? And and I just think you know, well, I'm not going to call them a, a heretic. Uh, I think they're in error on some important matters, but they are identifying some. I just I think mm-hmm. that. It's because they're inconsistent. We should also add, I think, as well, when you in the 17th century, social and political issues mm. shape mm, yeah. approaches to church factions mm-hmm. as well, which mm-hmm. was also a, a driving force behind yeah. some of so the tax. <laughs> no, maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, and that's kind of another part of this conversation is you know, there's different levels of error. Right. Our our political culture and mm-hmm. um, moral culture mm-hmm. kind of also will highlight which ones we we tend to care more about which mm-hmm. errors we put more mm-hmm. emphasis on at certain times. And then um, we begin getting a little tribal about yeah. those things. And, and yeah. that can, that can hinder good conversation. It's funny because we don't tend, like we are tribal about things like baptism in one sense, like maybe on Twitter, but it's more jokingly, mm-hmm. it seems right. like in our own churches, like you said, we coexist pretty well, yeah. even though something like baptism you think would divide us in worship. Yep. yep. Mm. Right, so and it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because because my, my Baptist brothers and sisters, Baptistic brothers and sisters that are members of this church, understand that baptism is very important. Mm-hmm. As a Presbyterian, I understand that baptism baptism is very important, and and actually, I'm I'm impressed with their irenicism, if if you like, of of saying. You know, we disagree with our pastor and our elders and and our church's position on on who should be baptized, um, but we're willing to set that aside and and be members in this church. Yeah, but church it's kind of sad, them. too, because, I mean, we have Baptists in our church whom I, I love and I learned from, mm-hmm. and yet they can't, you know, they, for good reason, can't be leader, like right. leaders in, right. in certain ways. And so people who I would love to nominate as a, a deacon or an sure. elder, um, and they're unable to serve in that way. Mm-hmm. So yep. it does cause then you, then you get to another distinction though. Uh, 
doctrines and practice necessary for the the, the essence of the faith, mm-hmm. the existence of the faith, and doctrines and practice is necessary for the good ordering of the church. Right. And I think the church holding a view on baptism and having that view uh, embodied in qualifications for eldership is actually important for the good ordering. Of yes. the I agree with that. Yep. And that's where it gets a little tricky when it comes to, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting how we can coexist so well, but then have these, right, right. these real issues yep. because of the nature of the error. Exactly. And, and the folks that are members of our church that are Baptistic, they know that I'm very serious about baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, they know when we and get vice up. Versa. Exactly. And when we, when, when we baptize babies, we explain every single mm-hmm. time we baptize babies, we explain why this is important right. and why this needs to be done. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, We've changed some minds. You know, there's been some minds changed and others haven't. But You're writing a book on it, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's I, in my pile of burnings. I, I, well, I, I wrote it, but I needed, I needed to burn it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Todd's good at writing the introduction. Uh-huh, yeah, you're yeah. tempting me to say things. Oh, I, 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 I will not point. do that. I'm, I not, not, I'm not going to rise to the bay. Well, well, Amy, speaking of, of baptism and speaking of, of, of church ordering and, yeah. and that kind of thing, I think we have a question dealing with um, leadership, elders, and and their children. Oh, and the connection yeah. There. Okay. I don't have uh, Nayara had that question, and yeah. she stepped out for a minute. But the question I, I believe it was um, basically, how far do you take this um, the elder this qualification, elder qualification, when it comes to obedient children? Yeah, orderly is there an, household. Is yeah. there an age cutoff there? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what if you have adult children who have walked away from the faith? Right. Are you disqualified then as yeah. an elder? Or um, yeah. what if you have a teenager who's fallen into sin? Right. Wow, that's a really good question. And it's a hard question. I think so. I think yeah. it's really, I mean, adult children, I don't think that yeah. you can be held accountable. Right. Um, Once they've left your house and are independent, yeah. I think at that point, you cease to have that kind of critical responsibility mm-hmm. for their behavior. Yeah. But I think it, you know, it's, it's easier if, let's say, you've got 12, 13-year-old kid running out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it Who's makes incorrigible. It, and, yeah, it makes it hard for that elder to have credibility if you have to address issues of parental discipline within right. the congregation. Yep. I mean, there's yep. a sense in which, you know, you have to have relatively clean hands yourself mm-hmm. when you address issues in other people's lives. So I certainly think that up until the time the child formally leaves home, which may vary from household right. to household, up until the child, the, the time the child formally leaves home, then, yeah, you, you have to see, is the elder a, a good manager of his own household? Mm-hmm. The Bible says if he can't manage his own household, how can he manage the household of God? Right. And so then the question that flows from that then is, uh, does being a manager of a good household mean that all of your children are Perfect. are yeah exactly <laughs> are 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 easily managed? And, That's and, what I was going right. to ask. And so I think you know I think the way I've tried to explain it to folks is that a, a faithful elder, a faithful pastor, uh, can have a a really difficult child or or, or children for some reason. Um, they can have a child who. Um, even before they they leave the home, um, has a rebellious heart against the faith. The, the, the question is: Is that father managing the situation right. faithfully? Mm. Yeah. Is is he is he continuing to love that child faithfully in, in all of the pro- appropriate expressions of love from? Mm-hmm. 
tenderness and empathy to discipline and firmness um or 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 is or has he become cruel in mm-hmm. response or has he become passive. Um, passive um you know those are the questions there mm-hmm. and i have known um elders who have a heartbreakingly rebellious child but everybody can say in, including the child my dad has loved me really faithfully mm-hmm. and then i've known situations where a child is really rebellious and and there's not a testimony to being mm-hmm. a wise and godly father unfortunately mm-hmm. um but but one of the things I, I you know one of the things i i which is difficult is is when you get if, if you have a child that is a, a rule follower and really, really kind of easy to raise, you, you can become, I think, tempted to think, wow, I just did all the right things right, as a parent. Yeah. Look what I got. And, and, then, and then the Lord gives you a child that is just classically strong-willed in every single sense. And it begins to humble you of that. And, and you right. begin to think, okay, so the challenge here is not me plugging in the right formula to get the perfect child. Mm-hmm. The challenge is how do I love this child in all the ways that I am to love him as a Christian father, um, and, and that therefore does not render me um, 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 disqualified mm-hmm. as as someone. I, I want to make sure that if people were to examine my parenting, they'd go, you know what? He was a godly dad. He's really loved that child. The child loves him, um, but. You know, I, I would I would want that to be the well, and I would think that that would give you good experience to draw from in helping shepherd your congregation, yes. who are going to have you know all spectrum right. of different yep. um, personalities and behaviors. Yep. When I when I was a youth minister, I had Parenting. godly kids mm-hmm. who were converted in my youth ministry, just and who to this day are married and have kids and walking with the, still walking with the Lord, who came out of horrible homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had kids that you that made you want to set your hair on fire and jump out a window, who came from parents who I knew personally were wonderful parents. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we explain all? There of isn't that? a prosperity gospel to parenting. Exactly. So exactly. there's a lot of wisdom involved, right? In, right. in how one manages a household, mm-hmm. and it, it's not just what what my pastor would say is the gumball machine, right. God, where if you put this quarter in, you're going to get mm-hmm. this piece of candy out when yep. you're done. Yep. And again, again. We want to hold to you must be a good manager of your home. Uh, the apostle is yes. very clear, but being a good manager of your home does not guarantee in every instance a particular payoff at a particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know. Okay. Well, so. I have another question here. I'm going to read this one because it's a little more detailed. Um, I was listening to your January 16th podcast, Easy Like Sunday Morning. I had a question come to mind that I would like to hear your thoughts on. Amy, you mentioned camps or conferences that have invited you to be the speaker over the weekend. And I believe you mentioned that you would either ask if you could leave on Saturday night so that you could attend church or you would decline to speak. You sounded concerned that someone would replace going to church with listening to you speak. Correct. For the past 14 years, I've worked at a Christian camp in northern Wisconsin. And so for nearly 20 weeks out of the year, we have guest groups in on the weekends. These groups are mostly from churches. In fact, this weekend we have a group of OPC and PCA churches bringing 206 campers into our camp. Some weekends we do sponsor our own retreat where we bring in a speaker. We have talked regularly at our camp about how we see ourselves as an appendage of the church and not a replacement for the church, but cannot guarantee that all of our guests see it that way. So my question is, do you see Christian camps and conferences as a group that 
is there to assist the church or as a hindrance or nuisance for taking parishioners away from Sunday morning corporate worship? And second, Amy, be encouraged. Adolescent boys always pick the hardest on the girls they like. Huh. Put them well. Not these boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that that is a that's a more good question. Yeah, that's a uh-huh. tougher question. I'll give it to you guys. Yeah. Is is it possible to own a or run or be a part of a Christian retreat center that that does have a, a service on a Sunday morning or or whose whose groups may stay on a Sunday and mm-hmm. and yeah yeah that's a good question. I mean, and I I speak as someone who has who just last year spoke at a a conference and 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 they had a Sunday service I preached the Sunday morning at the service at the conference um and I was not conflicted by that but maybe I should be I don't know I I wasn't conflicted though I'm still not mm. I think they, yeah. <laughs> it seems to me that the the people who may suffer the most spiritually in those situations actually the camp workers right rather than the groups that come to the camp and it's you know one sunday in 52 right they hear todd preach you know that they, may may not be a, <laughs> a little bit probably isn't up to the standard of the usual guy but they, they know, get over they it though todd they get preach, over they it recover within three or four years probably uh, but but it's the camp workers who right. don't have a a stable church it sounds from the way you read the the email amy like 20 that, weeks out of the year yeah, yeah that's a long time to be out of a regular local mm-hmm. church and i i guess at my point I, uh, my view on that would be it would be good if those who ran the camp took account of that and maybe encouraged their workers to be involved in in a local church yeah uh, now clearly if it's a christian camp there's going to be some works of necessity that take place on a sunday that may may disrupt that but working to make sure that the the workforce are able to get out and support local churches and be in a proper christian congregation stable christian congregation week by week would seem to me to be a desirable thing yeah yeah i w- i would lean towards the, the folks that that own and operate that sort of a retreat center to say come up with a, a way where you just run the facility a little bit differently on sundays mm-hmm. so that yeah. your workers are able to go down the street yeah. to that to that church and that and, and you may just have to let your groups know that here are the things we do you know monday through saturday um but but these are the things we can't do on sunday we'll, we'll have a service here for you yeah. but some of these things that you experience during the rest of the week at the center aren't, aren't going to be available because we just cannot in good conscience pull our workers out of out of the fellowship of a local church for 20 weeks sunday lunch might be a brown bag rather right. than properly catered lunch something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. but, but, but think through yeah, yeah thank you and that yeah. and that was the one thought i had last year when i spoke at the retreat center was not the guests who are all faithful members of a, of a local church but those younger workers and i, I mm-hmm. thought you know they're here for a lot of weeks without being plugged into yeah. a church. That was the only thought you had of that conversation? Well, the other thought, the other thought the I one had, thought I had no, no, no. was this. There was one <laughs> so. other thought. I thought, these people have no idea how fortunate they are to be preached to by me. Yeah. And it was clear, <laughs> it was clear from the joy on their faces. Woo! The, Weren't we the, talking about humility? The joy in, in their interview? laughter, the, the weightiness of their amens. Mm. That they knew something special was happening. Oh, I have another question. Uh-huh. Your church 
do you get a lot of amens when you preach? No, it's a Presbyterian church. I know. That's why I was asking because it's a bigger church and it's PCA. So I right. thought maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, it is, <laughs> it is, it is PCA. So yeah. you think there might even be dancing and oh, tongue talking. Oh, you said it was a Presbyterian church. It's <laughs> PCA. Come on. So no, there, there is not much amen. Every once in a while, I'll get one. In our second service, you know, Carl, we have two services because we're such a large church. Oh, you mean and, you have two congregations? <laughs> okay, in, two, two separate congregations. In, in our, okay, in, in our, the one building. Continue. In our second service, I love the second service because even even though our, our first service is actually larger attended and we have mo- that's where most of our university students come, in the second service, there's a couple of people that sit up on the front row who will amen. Mm-hmm. And it's not very loud, but just loud enough mainly. Say, isn't it an encouragement? Oh, I love it. It's just enough for me to hear. I'll hear them do something like, hmm, that's good. Total distraction. A- amen. You don't like and, the amen? And I love it. I it doesn't love it. I like the amen. Well, Carl, the reason why you're distracted by it is because it has so rarely happened to you. <laughs> that's very true. It's a very rare occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. More, more dancing happens more often than when I preach. Groaning. We had like an it. amen in our, in our church uh-huh. last Sunday. And that's Sunday. an OPC church. And, yes. And mm-hmm. I just thought, that was wonderful. Yeah. I just thought it was just praise God. Absolutely. Are you sure? You praise should say, God what he just said. Yes. You should grab that person and say, he might be happier attending Todd's church. <laughs> 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 sometimes, yeah. I don't, and I've, you know, just in speaking, yes. sometimes people have said amen. And mm-hmm. I think when people say it, it's just so encouraging. that encouraging. like What you just said really connect, right. like your passion, yep. you're talking about the Lord. Praise the Lord for that truth. With, with, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, I love it. And, and, and it, it helps me preach. Mm-hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I can't explain so why. So maybe we should campaign for more Presbyterians to say amen. Presbyterians, give your preacher an amen. Yeah, yeah. Except, except when I'm preaching. Except don't when be Carl's a Carl. I will let you off that one. <laughs> It'll distract <laughs> Carl. I love how, now listen, no applause after my performance here. You know, they're yeah. like, okay. No amens, no hugs. <laughs> but there is a difference between amen and applause. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I agree. Well, yeah. we're all agreed. What? Not really, Carl. <laughs> well, Carl. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, but this time it's me and you that agree. Exactly. Exactly. You Whoa. Know? Um, so anyway, well, listen, we're, we're glad you joined us uh, today. Thank you for uh, taking time to listen to Mortification of Spin. Um, we'd love for you to swing by our website, mortificationofspin.org. And uh, if you're so inclined, uh, just keep in mind that the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals uh, is uh, supported by the kind donations of people just like you. And uh, we'd love for you to make a donation that will enable the Alliance to continue to uh, produce content like Mortification of Spin. So thanks for joining us today and hope to see you or speak to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. 
We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. I would get, I would get, oh, you're mocking our brothers and sisters. and yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what we do best. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, what, you know, what do you expect? <laughs> no, I don't think our listeners expect any less from us. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, hey, listen, when, when we decide to go out, we'll go out with a blaze of glory. All right. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Okie doke. Okay, everybody. See you guys. All right. See you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.